Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century, and today we have a very special guest, Mari Naomi. Hi, Mari. Hey. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) 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 Oh, quarantine. (laughs) I know. I swear I'm not stoned. I can't make that same promise, but like, that, that makes one of us. <laughs> oh, good God. So, Mark and Naomi, where can people find you online? And what, what would you say, like, in as many words as you want, your whole bag is? I make comics. <laughs> uh, I've been making comics since 1997. And I also have a podcast that I haven't updated for a long time. Uh, it's an advice podcast called Ask By Girls with Miriam Gerba, who's an author. I also run the Cartoonists of Color and Queer Cartoonists and Disabled Cartoonist Databases. And what else? Um, I have a lot of cats and dogs and butterflies. <laughs> and uh... Wait, you have pet butterflies? No, they're not pets. I just help raise monarchs. I kind of collect them and make sure they don't get eaten by predators while they eclose and turn into butterflies and uh, and then set them free once they eclose. Holy crap, that's so important. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, now I know because you're involved in so many things. So I was like, I have a pretty good idea of your full career. And now I'm like, oh, <laughs> butterflies too. That's amazing. It's so cool. It's it's pretty heartbreaking actually because a lot very few of them survive and and that happens even if you do help them. Mm-hmm. So when they don't make it, you're just like, oh yeah, uh, nature's rough, very yeah. rough. It was another Nature cartoonist who got me into it. Uh, Hope Larson gave me these milkweed cuttings before she moved to North Carolina. Wow! And she got me on my way years ago. That is remarkable. I am always impressed by people who are as, I mean, prolific as you, do as much work, or like, I also happen to, I don't know, save nature. It's my thing. (laughs) It's like, I can barely brush my teeth every day. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, What's your social and uh, your website? Uh, So my website's my name, marinaomi.com. On Twitter, I'm marinaomi. On Instagram and Facebook, I'm marinaomiart, since some jerk must have taken my name. (laughs) (laughs) You have a Patreon, too, right? I do, I do. It's uh, daily comics. You have diary comics up every day, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I post them once a week. It was a little too intimate when I was posting them daily because people would respond to the comic that I posted about the day before. And sometimes I post really personal stuff. And if it would be troubling, for example, uh, I would get all these messages from very kind people, patrons, checking to see if I was okay. But that's not why I have a Patreon. So So it's a lot better if I have a whole week's worth because then you could see the whole range. So I might have a really crappy day one day and then you see that I'm, you know, making a fart joke the next day. So it's not as (laughs) urgent and I'm not getting a lot of concern from people. <laughs> right. I was wondering how you even kept that schedule. I mean, like that's, it sounds like you're still essentially doing pretty much the same schedule. But I only spend 10 minutes a day on it. I've been subscribed for a while. So I was just kind of like, how, how does the timing work on this? But yeah, I'm <laughs> it's the first thing I do in the morning. Oh, I see. And if I, see. I don't do it first thing in the morning, then I just stress out about it for the, until I do it <laughs> like today. <laughs> Sounds about right. That's a that's how it goes, right? So yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just interested. I kind of wanted to start from the beginning. What got you interested in making comics to begin with? Well, I wanted to be a novelist. And I think I wanted to be a novelist before I even knew how to write. And it's probably because my dad wants to be a novelist. <laughs> and I have a an autobiography, quote unquote, from kindergarten, where the teacher asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And and it's funny because I, I said, a writer or a caterpillar scientist. And I got to be what? both, apparently. <laughs> You're clairvoyant. <laughs> it's crazy because uh. I didn't get into the, the caterpillars until a couple of years ago, and I'd totally forgotten all about that. I mean, obviously, I'm not a scientist, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that'll do. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I so I tried to I tried to do uh, oh I was writing for a long time I wrote my first novel when I was very very young eighteen was the first novel twenty one I wrote my second novel neither of which thank God ever got published <laughs> <laughs> but I tried and uh, and the whole publishing trying to get publishing published experience was so disheartening and I realized that being a writer is not the same as being a published writer it's a completely different bag of eggs I, I mix metaphors there but it's it's completely different not fun at all and I decided screw that I'll keep writing but I'm just not gonna be a writer professionally and around that time I started writing professionally as a video game writer so it kind of got that out of my system and that's around around the time where I started reading underground comics and after a couple years of that I came across Mary Fleener's comic in a called The Jelly in a Twisted Sisters anthology. Oh, yeah, I remember that anthology. Have you read that one? I had one issue of it, and it was uh, <laughs> hard to find. It was like a miracle that I found it. Oh, it was a story about her roommate who had really big boobs. It was I called think the Jelly. that I might own that one. <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny and sad and great. And I, I, But I read that, and I thought, I have stories like that. I should make my own comics. And and then I did. Yay. 1997, February, I started drawing. And in March, I finished my very first comic. I think it was three, maybe it was five pages. It was, And it was all stippled. So it was insane. And uh, But I'd always enjoyed drawing before that. So I just, it, it never occurred to me to do it for anything but myself. And, and honestly, I never thought I would be a professional cartoonist. I just thought it would be fun to make comics and share them as zines. So 
<laughs> you more recently have been putting out the Life on Earth series, right? And yeah. so I was kind of curious what the inspiration of that was because it it's not by any stretch like a huge breakaway from the other like the autobio <laughs> stuff I've read. Um, I but there is like a sci-fi element to it. It's the first time I've done fiction that's gotten published. Uh, let's see if I can be concise about this and not ramble <laughs> on. It was when I was trying. So, so I started drawing and writing stuff in '97. And then 98, I think I got my first piece in an anthology. It was the Action Girl Comics anthology. And so I did a lot of anthologies over the years, and I self-published my own zines. And I always thought it would be nice to have my own regular floppy comic. Like, that's kind of what I aspired to. And I certainly didn't think that I was going to make a living off of it. But that was just something that I thought, oh, that would be nice. But I could never figure out what my shtick was. Like, I just would draw these one-off stories. And they were always auto-bio. But, like, I just never really had a theme. And then one day, it just hit me that I'm like, you know, I just, I love relationship stories. I love talking about relationships. I should just make a bunch of comics that each base, uh, where each one is based off of a different relationship I've had. Because I've also been very prolific in those. So, <laughs> I... It's, and then that's how I conceptualized uh, Kiss and Tell, which ended up being my first published book. Once I started going on, get, got going on that, I think I was about halfway done with the book, which was about almost 300 pages. I got an agent and we, and he was shopping it around and I was getting interest from publishers who didn't necessarily want to publish the book, but were, were they were interested in what else I could offer. And one said this, you know, this is, great, except it's a little mature. Have you ever thought about doing young adult? And I had not, and I'd never even read young adult to my knowledge. And so she shipped me a box of young adult books and I thought I could do that. And, uh, and so I, that, that's when I conceptualized the first book in life on earth. Um, and the third one just got published and that was in 2008 or 2009, um, obviously before Kiss and Tell had been published, Kiss and Tell eventually found a publisher with Harper Perennial. So the publisher that wanted me to do Young Adult, they ended up not publishing that book. That didn't, um, because it was a little too weird for them. (laughs) It took me about 10 years to find a publisher who was willing to take a chance on that weirdness. (laughs) Yeah, it's such an interesting comic. I thought that, you know, I really like how the art style changes from character yes, to character. I was totally going to say that. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's what was too weird for people. Oh, it's not, It's just like it's everything that makes comics so great. Like you get to immerse people in a perspective in such a, a different way, you know, than in a multi-perspective novel, for instance. That's what like, I thought. And, you know, oh, I was in it. I know that's never been done before. And the whole time I was working on it for those 10 years, I was trying to keep it a secret because I'm, I'm like, this is not this can't be a completely original idea but it just so happens that no one's done it before and i didn't want anyone to do it before me and i take so long to draw <laughs> so i was like couldn't talk about it for like 10 years it was driving oh me my crazy God. that would be the weirdest <laughs> secret like to have to keep that secret for a decade like i oh can't even God. imagine <laughs> i told a couple people about it but i was i was really trying to keep it under my hat so my my agent knew about it obviously and then the people you know the publishers he was pitching 
And, uh, you know, and, and the publishers like they might like the story, they might like the perspectives, but they didn't like that it was drawn in different perspectives in addition to being told different parts of the story. And, you know, to me, that's the most valuable part. But certain people were asking, well, this is great, but can you just draw it all in the same style? And I'm like, oh, no. my gosh, that'd be so limiting. You right? I mean, you also like really flex your artistic muscles in it. It's beautiful. And it's oh, thank you. I think it's great. Right. Because we get introduced to this like tangle of friends who have layers of issues with each other and <laughs> great things with each other. But then, you know, we see things from one perspective and then the next section, it just shifts entirely. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that thing I took for granted, you know, the the unreliable narrators aspect yeah. isn't actually for granted there's another side of that and then when i read um i thought you hated me uh-huh. the autobiographical that that was i was like yes wow like i can see how you got into the 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 life on earth series to sort of like play with okay what's the reverse of my experience in this situation you know and i love funny that. the person i wrote the the book about i thought you hated me uh I keep trying to get her to write her side of the story because she she's like, I don't, I, you know, this is a great book, but this is not my memory. I'm like, please write your memory. <laughs> I would love that to be a companion piece. That would be so cool. <laughs> that would be really cool. She's a really good artist too. Like, ugh. I was curious about, because there is a storyline in the Life on Earth series that is about teen pregnancy. And I think that something that I didn't notice that much before I read this was how that doesn't happen in comics very much. Mm. We, like, almost never see it, right? Like, that's, I mean, if you're dealing with any kind of, I mean, you know, we we don't see much pregnancy unless it's, like, story arc related, you know, or something. And, you know, I, I just think that, like, it it's always almost written by men and things like that. So you just end up with a lot of kind of disjointed narrative that doesn't do much of a favor, I think for like the people who actually go through that situation at all. And so I just thought that, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of profound and groundbreaking for me in a way that I was kind of surprised by because I was just like, you know, I've never seen this in a comic. So I was just curious if you had, you know, specific reasons why that was something that was important to include in the comic, because I think it's one of the parts that like works the best. Oh, wow. That's great. Thank you. Of course. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, reproductive rights is always something that's on the forefront of my brain. Uh, I I don't know why that, the plot went that way. It's, it's funny. I, you know, obviously I wrote all of this like 10, 11 years ago. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I don't remember why I made the choices for the plot, but I do rem- I can tell you why I made the, like each font choice and <laughs> right, <laughs> each color right. choice and, and all the visuals for like, cause I, that's what I was really focused on. But I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, it, it makes sense because I, it's something that I, um, that's really important to me. I, I myself have had two abortions, neither of which were anything like Emily's. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I think people assume that I'm kind of like Emily, but she's way more prissy than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a much, I was a much different teenager than any, any, of these, uh, the, any of the kids, but I based each character on people I knew from back then. Right. I thought that that was another thing that was really interesting is, is like, you know, uh, through the entire thing, I I feel like a lot of times whenever I read fiction, 
you know, people really do kind of go the extra mile to make a lot of their characters more likable than they might be in real life. And then in this, I felt like you just kind of let the problematic sides, like there's people who say things like, oh, it'd be so much easier if I to get into college if I were white or if I weren't white and stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> and oh so God. I thought that that was all, you know, I mean, that's how teenagers are. Like they say horrible, offensive things like all of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that added a lot of realness to it that I don't see in a lot of YA. So I think that that's also another thing that was pretty interesting. Honestly, I haven't read a lot of YA. <laughs> I read that box of books that that publisher gave me, and that's about it. Except for Hunger Games, but I don't know. <laughs> that's a whole different bag. Yeah, none of this so. happens in Hunger Games. <laughs> Hunger Games. Uh, yeah, you know, the other thing, I wanted to go jump back quickly to the the conversation around abortion. I also, something that's been, you know, I've been stewing on for a very long time is the way that people don't really think about reproductive rights as a queer issue and how important reproductive rights are as a queer issue. Right. And, and I loved, you know, in portrait of a lady on fire, I loved how prominent their abortion story was. And I felt like I in a very, I haven't seen uh, it. you it's, you know, I took a long time to see it because I, uh, get so sad when things are sad. Um, but Sarah really loves sad things. So she, she got me excited for it. <laughs> yeah, I do love sad things. You're right. I, I got really into getting sad about that movie two times now, and I hope to go for a third soon. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be sad. I don't know if I want to watch it now. Oh, but it's great at the same it's time. It's really good. You know? It's not just sad, though. That's no, it's the only thing, like right? a little sad, but I thought it was going to be sadder than it actually was. Mm. Fair but enough. the ending yeah. is sad. <laughs> yeah, in a way, in but a it's way. also hopeful i don't know i so what I if i just reasons? watch it until the ending and then i'm like i'm happy <laughs> i think you'll accidentally watch the ending because you'll love it so much yeah i think uh, you'll be uh hooked after just a little while you'll be like oh no i'm gonna turn it off in just a minute honestly at this point in the pandemic i'm so scared to cry because i feel like if i start i won't stop oh god so. right. i literally said those words <laughs> to my therapist and she was like i don't think that will happen and i was like but you can't guarantee. You don't know. <laughs> and she's like, that's fair, but I'm not sure this is your healthiest game you've played with me. You know, I'm like, but can you make me not cry? Uh, yeah. So I hear you. I was, uh, oh my God, I was watching Steven Universe earlier and it was like an episode where Garnet was just being super supportive and I was bawling my eyes out because I was like, I just need someone to say that to me. It was so ridiculous. Oh, just pandemic. (laughs) Just like that pandemic anxiety, you know? Good evening, everyone. This is Sarah Century, and this is also my story time. We are doing an anthology, you may have heard, that is called Decoded Anthology. It's an anthology, and also there are 30 different stories in it for every single day of Pride, which is a lot of stories. And of course, because it is Pride-oriented, that means we have queer creators as well, which is like, you know, that's amazing. To get to publish like a whole anthology of all LGBTQ plus creators, for me, absolutely a dream come true. And they're all geniuses, which is... Geniuses! Very helpful in my enthusiasm. Fucking brilliant. There's so many stories that I was like, holy shit, 
This is the greatest thing I've ever read. Stories that'll scare your butt off. Stories that'll make you laugh. Stories that'll make you cry. Stories that'll make you feel so fucking proud to be a part of these communities. And we are just so excited to be able to do this with you. We're at decodedpride.com. Only $15 for 30 stories. We hope you'll join us. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Join us. Join us. Yeah, so I I just, I really appreciated the way that the abortion was both allowed to matter to people, but also considered like, okay, normal, you know, part of the existence of being alive or part of the experience of being alive. And I just thought that was an amazing balance to strike because I do think sometimes we feel, you know, responsible to make abortion not at all a deal or to make it a, a huge deal. And it's like, well, it can be both and it can be neither at points, you know? I'm so grateful for my abortions. I'm so, you know... I feel so bad for everyone who has kids right now. Oh my god! <laughs> During right? this pandemic, holy shit! <laughs> but also, yeah, that was never a, a path I wanted to take, and and I'm just really grateful. And you know, the second time I got pregnant, I used just I was so safe. I used protection. The condom didn't even break. I don't know what happened. And it's life it is just chaos. Life is yeah. chaos. And then you can <laughs> do everything right and crazy shit happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm super grateful for abortion. I know so many people who um, have just had, like, their lives given back to them. It's such a gift that we have it, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Whenever I was a little kid, I never have had an abortion, but whenever I was a little kid, I remember my grandma, one day I just realized that she had seriously considered having an abortion at one point, And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, damn. And like It was like this weird <laughs> key to the universe moment where I was like, abortion is like great for people like you know it's like great that it's there you know like and just basically my grandma having like this feeling I think around her where she was like yeah I mean I could have done a lot of things and I ended up having to be stuck with this really shitty husband and like Uh, all of that stuff I mean she left that guy so she's the best but I think also it was just this thing of being like damn choice really is important and like things might have gone really differently if my grandma had more of a choice you know Mm mm-hmm it's just another way to keep women down. Yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of, I mean, I guess what it basically just runs down to is, is that I really appreciate just having something that was like nuanced and it was, yes. you know, was shown in a way that to me, because I mean, I, there's just so few narratives around it. Right. So just even having it as a narrative to me just made it stand out so much. And as far as a characterization thing, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Every part of the story kind of, of Emily's story she has a greater story overall, but then it's like, you know, it's kind of leading to that situation. Like she's kind of already having to deal with like a lot of that stuff. I think like early, early on, like the emotional fallout of it and stuff like that. So I don't know. It was just great. I was really impressed by it and I am glad to talk to you about it. Thanks. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And I love the weird fiction of it all. <laughs> I love yeah. that it's like, Everything's normal. This is normal. Here's some normal stuff. That girl was missing. This is normal. Or is it? <laughs> is everything not at all what you think it is? And it was like, oh my God, I love this so much. Thanks. You I'm don't blushing. want to like spoil totally it. Oh, well, just come on our show. We'll tell you how great oh you God. are. That's our this whole is thing. better than beer. Um, because you are. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, since you can't have beer, we will shower you in affection. And I have red face um, anyway, all- so... yeah you know i think i just i don't really spoil it but you know there's like the alien element and i think so often you know in in sci-fi in in i think i couldn't say especially in comics but certainly also in comics that are science fiction aliens are frequently represented as hostile as you know trying to come and take something from this like laughable (laughs) planet and i love that like instead in this situation they're like oh babies I've never actually a little bit. <laughs> I, I haven't read much sci-fi, so I don't actually know the genre really at all. You didn't need to. <laughs> you <laughs> just reinvented I, it without even trying. I, I I haven't read YA. I haven't read sci-fi. Uh, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Nothing is wrong with you. So where did the where did the alien element come from for you? Honestly, the publishers like, what if you had aliens? I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's like the greatest creative story I've ever heard. <laughs> she said, can you write my A? I'm like, sure, why not? I'll try. Um, what if you had aliens or something? She might have said zombies. I don't know. She just threw out a couple ideas. I'm like, okay, I'll get back to you. And I came up with a pitch <laughs> at the time. So there was an underlying story. Let's see. I was doing Kiss and... I'd finished most of Kiss and Tell. And I'd started turning Japanese. Like, I'd started that process so, and, you know, I'd also been making comics for, I don't know, 12 years or something by that point. So I'd done a lot of autobio. So I was excited to try out fiction. And also, when I'm doing autobio, I have kind of this hard, fast 
rule that actually doesn't apply to diary comics, obviously, but um, this rule that I'm not going to write about something until some time has passed and I can really see the greater picture whenever that is. And sometimes it takes a very long time. And at the time I was going through uh, something pretty rough where uh, I'd found out about a friend who I'd had along like many, many years prior had betrayed me and like that. And I'd found out that that's why our friendship had ended not for the reasons that she had said. And so I was really wrestling with that. I was, you know, but I wasn't ready to write about it. So I decided, what if I try to write from her perspective? And she ended up being the Paula character. Mm. And so that's pretty much the spark that started the whole story off. Oh, I love that. Because, yeah, I wasn't ready to write about it yet, but it, but suddenly as soon as I was writing fiction and I was writing from her perspective, but it didn't have to be her perspective. I, you know, obviously I was able to change it and she ended up changing into a different character over time than the person she was based off of. It, there was just immense freedom in that. And that felt amazing. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite things about writing fiction is like really trying to understand a different person's perspective and where you would and wouldn't agree with them, you know? Like, I I love writing a character that I'm like, I would not make any of these decisions. (laughs) These are bad decisions. However, I can see why this character made those decisions, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've made some stupid-ass decisions. (laughs) Can I swear on this podcast? Sorry. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I This podcast is just swearing. Yeah, usually. Fuck yeah. Fuck shit ass. God damn it. Fuck. It's the fuck the fuck podcast. I didn't realize like when we were talking once again in the animated special, I had just cursed so many times. I was like, fuck this, fuck them. I was like, if there was any episode that was gonna be for kids, this was the <laughs> one. <laughs> and it just Immediately got derailed into like <laughs> killing Eve. We're and like cursing. psychopaths and lesbian attraction, <laughs> and this motherfucker. And <laughs> oh wait a second, oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> so you know, I, I I'm curious. You know, we talked a little about Paula. We talked a little bit about Emily. You know, I, I would love to hear about the other characters and and how you know where they came from. If there's like a a, a person or just an idea or if did you start writing with Emily and Paula and they sort of like evolved around them? I just want to hear about your creative process. Well, Paula was who, what I started with was, you know, why, why did she do the things she did? And who was she really? This was a person who was my best friend for many of my formative years. And then we had a mysterious breakout breakup. And, uh, and then I found out about the betrayal, like, like when I was a full on adult and, um, I actually just finished writing a memoir about her specifically because um, I ha- am ready to write about her or I was, and I did. So that's actually being shopped around by my agent right now. Wow. So I did end up writing the book about her, but at the time, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, I wasn't ready to write about her, but I was ready to start thinking about her. So yeah. So it started with me putting myself in her shoes because um, I'd spent some time being angry at her and I was ready to, not forgive her exactly, but to understand her. And so that's where it started. And then I'm like, well, who, who's the cast of characters I could put her with? And a lot of those people were based off of various people. Like Nigel was based off of these two boys in high school, one that I dated right after the other. 
<laughs> and I basically just <laughs> mesh them together. And they had, they had the very similar experiences. They both lived with their single mom and were both right. very stylish boys. So, uh, <laughs> so I squished them together, turned them, turned them into uh, Nigel. Uh, Brett was a combination of one of the guys, actually the guy I lost my virginity to in high school, and also a guy that I... Uh, a younger guy that I dated when I was in my twenties. And so I squished them together. <laughs> I love that. You're like, I see a theme and I'm just going to draw <laughs> off the themes. One of my favorite character arcs is Nigel. I love, I love how Nigel. that first story goes because Aww. he just, it's like, he's trying so hard and is kind of at times you're he's just like, I don't know how hard. much I can sympathize with this guy. And then towards the end, you're just like, oh, my God, he yeah. came such a far distance. Like, oh, he's that's great. all mature now. He's the one I miss the most. <laughs> I could see why. You know, he's so interesting. It's, it, it was cool to see him deal with, like, his misogyny and his aggression towards the, the women that he was around. And, and like, his, um, you know, his nice guy-ness that was, like, coming out, like, quote, unquote. Toxic nice guys. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> And then to see him sort of be like, oh, shit. Well, oh. And then he just, like, shifts, you know? And, like, his mind opens. And then, you know, cool things happen with aliens. And it's just like, <laughs> what? This is great. I love this. You know, I don't know that either of those guys ever came to that epiphany. I mean, hopefully they came around eventually, probably in their 30s. Which is <laughs> 40s. When guys tend to come around. Yeah, 40s, 50s. all depends on the guys. <laughs> but uh so i think maybe his his coming around is part of my fantasy image of like where are those guys now and what would i like them to have gone through wow but you know what it really gives him a happier ending right mm-hmm. like that's the thing too is, is like when we talk about toxic masculinity hurting the guy it's just like yeah because like if nigel didn't go through that process or, you know, in real life, when people don't go through that process until much later, it's just like they are much less interesting characters that are a lot less fun to be around. So Yeah, there's a certain tolerability to youth, right? Like you can kind of be like, yeah. OK, OK, like you're young, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember hanging out with a bunch of guys when I was uh, early adulthood and, and they were all still in the beginning phases of Nigel. <laughs> but i think they all came around eventually they're just i feel like when you're so full of hormones all those you know the the incel guys or whatever they call themselves but i I knew guys like that they they didn't have guns and they weren't you know they weren't quite as horrible as the people who do those horrible things but they had this sort of not like an entitlement but but also this feeling like wait i'm good looking I'm nice to them. I'm doing all the right things. Why don't they like me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the and the easy answer is like, because you're an asshole. And, you know, and you have to <laughs> grow out of that. And you will grow out of that. But not yet. You know, not while your hormones are raging because they're making you an asshole. And I saw that so much. And, you know, and as, as their friend, I would try to help them out of that. But you can't talk someone out of being an asshole. Like, you could nope. try to help them disguise it. And then once, once they have <laughs> like good experiences, then they stop you know, they let go of their sphincter a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it, it's not something that they can deal with on their own very well. Like, I would help these guys, like, dress better. And, you know, and so then they would get more girlfriends. And then once they got girlfriends, 
they would kind of loosen up and be like, okay, well, maybe, you know, this wasn't all that I thought it was going to be. Or, you know, just, it was, so I knew a lot of guys like that, but without quite, you know, the rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so when, when I hit my sexual peak in, I guess I was 30, early 30s, like late 20s, early 30s, I was hitting my sexual peak. And I was just crazy with hormones in a way that I hadn't been since pre-teenhood when I, you know, went through puberty. But it's different in puberty because, you know, you might be horny as fuck, but you don't actually know what to do with it. Whereas when you're 34, <laughs> you know what to do with it. And I remember having these surging hormone hormonal feelings where I would have like find myself having these really awful thoughts that I'm like, oh, I understand these teenage boys. I remember I understand <laughs> what, you know, it's it's not it's not act logical entitlement it's just like give me sex <laughs> <laughs> you know I, yeah. know I mean the good the, the, i think that's a great way of describing like even like people who are trying you know or like maybe think of them like genuinely think of themselves as a nice guy or like don't think of what yeah. objects like still there's some layers of that going on yeah, oh, yeah. i think that's really interesting hmm Gender, sexuality, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I deviated from Nigel a little mm. bit, but I mean, it, it all ties back to Nigel because yeah, I mean, I, it yeah, does. He, he matured faster. <laughs> oh, and he's so I love the way he's illustrated. I love how different he looks in each person's perception, you know, and and how he sees Thank himself. You. I, I put it's, so much thought into that. It's so cool. It's just really neat. You know, I also feel like this is a really a really bi narrative. I don't I don't know if you intended it that way. I mean, I know that you're bi. I mean, <laughs> I'm also I'm bi, bi. So. Um yeah, so I'm like I don't know, like sometimes I write things and I'm like I didn't intend this to be so bi, but it's pretty bi, you know. Um but like do you think that like that was part of what you wanted to explore in it or like you're just like, "Oh, of course Paula and Joanna, I believe that's the right names, would like end up together." I don't know. I was just curious how like you wove through that. Well, that was inspired by my friend who is bi. And she was my first girl kiss, in fact. And oh, so, I mean, from the from the get go, when I knew I was going to be writing about her, if not directly about her, I mean, I knew she was bisexual. So it just seemed like the natural flow of things. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But yeah, Johanna is, is was originally based off of the gal who I thought you hated me is about but mm. obviously I I made some changes the the Mirabai from I thought you hated me is is uh straight but um but a lot of similar elements yeah I I loved the way that the coming out was dealt with both like from the perception of Paula Paula and also you know and then how she like has a teacher who's like why don't you write a queer column and she's like okay and she's like joanna get out of the closet get out of the closet i need to write about us and joanna's like no 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 that's too much and i thought that was so sweet i've had that conversation with a girlfriend where i'm like no 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 that's too much and i've also had that conversation with a girlfriend i'm like get out of the closet get out of the closet you know so i thought that was really sweet to see and and the way that no one no one's mean to each other no one's shaming each other they're just like young and i feel like it's like how I felt in college. They're just young and like throwing their bodies at each other and like trying to figure <laughs> out what they want and, and like trying to be good at being adults, you know, <laughs> being like not very good at it. It's just oh, delightful. 
I feel like there's that's how most people are. Like people who have very um just good and bad binary narratives or whatever. Like those people don't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> or if they yeah. do, I don't know any of them. I mean, I don't know the president, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> I wanted to ask because, I mean, I, well, from this entire conversation, we're talking about your fiction work, but obviously autobiography plays a huge role in pretty much everything you write, at least, mm. you know, for a foundation. Um, and I appreciate that, like that you uh, engage with that so openly, because I feel like a lot of people base, you know, like, this character is supposed to be my ex-girlfriend, but then <laughs> they never own up to that. <laughs> so it's nice to see kind of just like this openness about it. But I wanted to say that, uh, yeah, basically just like what, because I mean, there's a lot, there's such a strong history of great biographical comics. And then of course, you know, like for queer people, that has a completely different world. Like I think that queer people have kind of owned autobio comics for quite a while. One of the reasons I like doing autobio is that I I could focus on how I want to portray it and not have to invent everything. Mm. Right now I'm working on a graphic novel that's completely like none of it's autobiographical at all. And it's a it's kind of like a <laughs> a 300 page uh, episode of the Twilight Zone, but like Japanese American. Okay, I'm already. In. <laughs> so I love it. There's time travel and and weird shit happens. Oh, I love it. It's really fun to make. I mean, it's all written out. I've just I just have to draw it, and it's taking forever. Like every little thing, like her clothes, like the the house that she's in, and and like all the pots and pans. Like I have to invent each one, or you know, I could obviously base it off of something that I see online but like it's not as fun that way and I just find myself spending a lot of time being a designer and an architect person and you know things don't that don't really involve narrative mm. which is what sometimes when I'm doing autobio what, what I'm, I'm very interested in that I don't know no that makes a lot of sense to me yeah. I think that's really interesting to think about how they both sort of represent different opportunities and different limitations so autobio gives mm -hmm. you you know you have to stick to what actually happened which is like a good limitation to have but I also heard in what you were talking about with uh, life on earth like it was kind of fun being thrown like can you make it YA can you add an alien <laughs> and like it seems like maybe that's a helpful aspect of that that creation as well so I don't know I, I tracked that totally like I I write personal essay and I also write fiction and I I do such different things in each of them but I also find that for me with with different kinds of fiction if it's like it can be like oh my god I'm gonna have to really think about this what yeah, is yeah. in that soup what would be in their soup if they lived in this time <laughs> Yeah, if, if, if someone's winter. doing autobio, and when you're reading someone's autobio, like they can really, you, you get that, like they're really focused on telling their perspective. Which, honestly, like when I'm reading, I, I, I mean, I, I love all sorts of genres, but like I'm, I get most engaged when someone's telling a personal story because I'm very interested in people's perspectives, and I feel like autobio stories or personal essays or whatever they're just it's just like the pure drug that i'm looking for <laughs> <laughs> it's not cut with any of that shit <laughs> oh my god i love it i was gonna say you know i feel like your your work is so 
emotionally both like complex and emotionally intelligent. Like that's what I like about it is sometimes I find that some writing has lots of emotions, but then like no sort of like meta emotional narrative. And it's very clear yours has so much meta emotional narrative, which is what makes the ending of your works like pay off so well, because it's, it's just built so thoughtfully across, you know, a large three book arc in this case. And, and to me, that's like, that's why I love that. Like I'm like bawling my eyes out over something, you know, relatively minor, <laughs> but I'm like, because I remember from book one, you know, where they started, oh. you know? Oh my God. I'm beat red right now. I'm so embarrassed and happy. <laughs> 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 embarrassed and happy. Just the way we want you to feel. <laughs> yeah. You saying all of that just kind of made me remember, cause you were saying about uh, being, I, then I have to be an architect. And I was like really thinking about how in life on earth, there's a lot of panel, like building layout and stuff like that. Like I see yeah. the building. <laughs> That noise. Oh man! All, I, took, <laughs> I spent so much time just b- making that city. I'm like, okay, so where where is this based off of? And it's like vaguely based off of places I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was kind of. It was something I noticed while I was reading. Definitely, where I was like, oh wow, like this is such a mapped out city. Um, <laughs> and then of course, just kind of was like da da da, and kind of moved on from it. So it's interesting to hear that. Happy Pride. It's nice to have you with us, hanging out, having a good time. And you know what? We have this great content year-round. It's not only for Pride Month. And if you're new, you're just here joining us, hey baby, you look good. If you're a long-time listener, hey baby, you look real good. We love you. Thank you for joining us. You know you could support us? You can come over and join us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. That's patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. And if you join us, you can look forward to cool things like extended episodes, reading lists, playlists, special episodes about comics book history, special episodes about whatever the fuck we feel like. It's a good time and we miss you. Come join us. We miss you and or you're already subscribed and we don't miss you. <laughs> you're with us all the time. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're there. We don't miss you. Like we want you here, but we don't miss you, you know? Yeah. Make sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. Bitches on comics. Bitches on comics. Bitches on comics. talk to you about the databases because you have been working on so much (laughs) so much amazing networking databasing um so uh what was your inspiration for starting the databases well i uh so i had to look this up right before we started talking because i couldn't remember the year but it was 2014 (laughs) that i read a listicle and i think it was on buzzfeed or one of those places and it said and it was one of those, uh, like, 10 women cartoonists who write about <laughs> sex, uh, give their opinions on something or other. And, I'm, and, of course, my first thought was, like, hey, I write about sex, and I'm a woman, and I'm a cartoonist. 
but I wasn't invited. <laughs> Nobody asked me to this. <laughs> and uh, and I re and I was looking through it. I'm like, oh, they're all white. Yeah. And that was where what, what sparked it. <laughs> and I'm like, where, where are the people of color in this? And uh, and then I don't know. Just years and years of being told there weren't any people of color in comics just mm-hmm. made me think. Yes, there are. And uh, mm-hmm. and I started listing i just had a piece of paper and i just started listing the people i knew in comics who aren't white and i you know there weren't i don't know that many people i mean now i do but like at the time i didn't really know a whole lot of people and Mm -hmm. uh so that maybe there were like 10 12 people on my list i'm like (laughs) these people matter certainly enough for a listicle okay Right, right. And and so I started, I uh, went to Twitter and I think Facebook too. And I just asked people like, oh, who are the people of color in comics? And, and, uh, and I started making a list and suddenly I had this list of all these people, you know, went to like 30 people and then 40 people and 50 people. I'm like, holy shit, there's so many of us. And I'm like, someone should really make a list of this and put it on the internet. And I'm like, oh, wait, I have the list. (laughs) (laughs) You volunteered yourself. (laughs) And I didn't, you know, at the time, I think I was on a deadline and I had so much work. And I'm like, I don't have time for, I have to do this. So that's why I did it. I think I was, was, at the time, I was also writing an article about, specifically about how to write people of color if you're a person of a different color. So that was also on my mind. Um, that was also sparked by by the listicle. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many things I've done in my life because I read a listicle or an article that just pissed me off. <laughs> I'm like, that's yeah, some bullshit. Like, oh my god! Yeah. So I just I basically just like added a page on my personal website and just had a list. I'm like, hey, look, I have a database. Bang, in a. And then over time, it just grew. And now there's like, I don't know, thousands of people. It's insane. So many people. That's so cool. Yeah, it is really cool. I think it's very important because I think that that's the thing that we always hear, right? Is like, oh, well, we couldn't we couldn't ask like a queer person to write this queer story because like, <laughs> where are the queer people? Like, we've never even met one. Like. Where are that's, they even from? I've never even heard of them. That's um, the thing. Like these people run in their own circles, and I know plenty of straight people who I'm their token bi or bi or queer friend. Mm-hmm, they have lots sure. of white people who I've you know I'm their token Asian friend, which you know it's fine, <laughs> whatever. <Right. laughs> as long as I'm like friend before I'm like token, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I did want to want to boost people's visibility, and but I also was kind of trying to prove a point, like hey. The, there's people out there and yeah, once I had the cartoonists of color together, I pretty much immediately thought I should do a queer cartoonist database, but I couldn't figure out how to do it without outing people. Oh, which I right, didn't want to right, do. right. Yeah. Um, so that once I, that's figured a whole out different kind that, of list that you don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> once I re- realized I could do it as an opt in from the creator viewpoint, mm. then th- that's, that's what I ended up doing. And now all the databases are like that. And then the disabled cartoonist database I just opened, uh, I just started pretty recently. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm not disabled. And, and I, I wanted to create it for a long time, but I just, it felt weird because I, I, I felt weird trying to re- represent other people, you know? Right. Yeah. Like it took me forever to figure out what to even call it. Like what's not offensive, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so 
that's why it took so long. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy it's there. Yeah, I'm happy it's there, too. I think it's super important to have these databases just so that people can't, you know, it's like they don't have a leg to stand on at that point where you're just kind of like, oh, but here's a database, <laughs> like exactly. a literal database. And it's funny because because I run those databases, instead of fewer people asking me, hey, do you know any people of color that I could ask for this or that? Like, I actually get more of those requests. And I'm like, uh, uh, I just I spent thousands <laughs> of dollars and thousands of hours creating this free thing you it's basically google you just go over there and type in your city (laughs) and type in the ethnicity you want and there you are like why would why make me do more work (laughs) it drives me crazy (laughs) it is remarkable what people will ask one another that you're like literally there's a whole thing for that (laughs) oh my god no the the comments on like every article of mine that i share is like there's literally google i uh, I, like sometimes i just want to like link to (laughs) google.com but like then i'm just like oh my god then i'll just have like you know everybody will be like what an asshole (laughs) oh i've done that before though it's great it feels really good just do it (laughs) You just have to sometimes. I feel like I try to emphasize being like a kind person all the time. And then I'm like, but they're not emphasizing kindness to me. Like, they're just like wasting my time. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know if it still exists, but there used to be a website called LMGTFY, which is let me Google that for you. So you you give them that address.com and then it pulls up Google. Oh my god, that's great. Uh, I was a real <laughs> troll for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Love it. That's awesome. It's true. I think that that's like, it's just so important that you've done all of that work. And I personally have found it to be extremely useful because like, you know, we we write articles and stuff like that. So it's like, I can't, I mean... There's at this point, like, I or at any point, like, there's no excuse <laughs> to not have, a, if you're doing any kind of a group article, there's no excuse for you to not have diversity. Like, it can't just be one kind of anything. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I think that that's something, it's like the tried and true excuse of people to be like, well, I don't know. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, of course, like, you should just um, <laughs> literally Google or like you could use you know, this database that's literally been compiled for you. <laughs> when I started, I was certain that there would be more resources online. And uh, and Google got me very little information. I mean, and I'm, I'm from a time from, you know, we didn't always have the internet. I remember researching things on in encyclopedias and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, but even so, I, I'm so reliant <laughs> on Google. And honestly, like, the internet doesn't have everything, but... But now it has this, so. (laughs) It has a lot. Before (laughs) I even comment on things, I always Google what I'm about to say or even if I'm about to tweet. And it's because, like, literally just being constantly questioned, I think, because I've been a comic (laughs) nerd my whole life. And so I'm just like, here's a fact from a comic or something. And somebody's just like, well, I'd like to debate you on that. And I'm like, okay. Um, So, yeah, I feel like I just kind of got really good at being like, all right, I'm going to Google literally everything I say. You know, I'm going to, like, look into the, you know, whatever book is relevant. Like, I fact check myself all of the time. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's like it's great to have something that's so easy right is just to be like oh database here i am you know it's depressing though if you ever have like an original idea 
And then you Google it and you could see oh, like a yeah. thousand people who've had it before you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't do that anymore because I don't want to know. Like if I have a funny yeah. tweet, I'm just gonna tweet it. I don't care if like, you know, it's it's possible ten thousand people have had the same thought. I just don't wanna know. It's not like I'm making money <laughs> off my tweets, so <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say it's like a fine line between like fact checking oneself and giving oneself an ulcer. And right. I don't always walk that line very well. Like I will start a tweet and then I'll be like, I should Google that. Like I'm not sure that word means what I think it means. And then like Oh, I do that. Yeah. 30 minutes important. later, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just delete my Twitter. Like maybe that's the solution. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have some rando just like coming at me again, you know. Yes. Like, oh, well, I've had that happen and whatever, it's embarrassing, but then it's a blip. It's over. True. Totally. <laughs> True. I do think it's embarrassing for them. <laughs> I, I do have that emotion a lot where I'm just like, how embarrassing for you. Fuck. I don't know how to I don't know what to do with this myself though. Like it just happened right in front of me. You did it to yourself. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. Yeah. So I don't know. What What do you have coming up right now? Um, well, the final book just came out from my Life on Earth series um, last month. I was. I should be on uh, going on book tour in a week, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I have a book that's circulating the publishers. Hopefully the publishing industry doesn't tank before that. Find somebody. Because honestly, that book about my friend that doesn't have a publisher yet, I think is my best book out of everything I've ever done. Well, I'm really excited for it then. Because I love your work. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's really weird. I love weird. I love weird. So <laughs> it's really I'm weird. Ready. It's, it's like a, it's a collage memoir. There's some comics in it, but it's not primarily comics. That's so cool. I have been posting bits of the collage here and there. That one's called I Thought You Loved Me. You know, possibly I'll just be writing about my friends since I'm, you know, in a, I'm tired of writing about romance. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. You know, it had like a little bit of, um, oh no, I'm I'm forgetting her name, Sarah, she's like our favorite, uh, what it is. Linda Berry. Linda Berry. It gave me like some Linda Berry vibes in like a very cool really? way where I was like, this is nice. Like, I like this, like the, the lined Aww. paper and like the found and then like the, oh, the, yeah, the woven narrative. Like I'm into that. Oh, I liked her, um, thousand, what, what is it? 10, the thousand, thousand demons. demons. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good book. I love her. Uh, yeah, I think that that's it, right? Is is that now when we read something that has experimental format, we're kind of like, oh, Linda Berry. Because <laughs> um, she kind of, uh, you know, didn't didn't create it, but pioneered a lot of that stuff. Well, you know, badass women, you know, that's also yeah, part no, of it. <laughs> this is a little part of it, I think. Um, but also, I think that... Uh, yeah, just kind of having an experimental nature. What it what reminded me of a lot was uh, just reading zines whenever I was young. And so, did you have a zine background? Oh yeah, I still make zines. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never stop. Probably that's how I feel too. I'll probably stop publishing books before I stop self publishing zines. They're so just instant gratification, you know. 
They really are. Yeah. I, um, every time I feel like I keep like upping myself on zines and then I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to retire. It doesn't pay me anything. I don't like it. And then it's just like, (laughs) damn, a year passes. And I'm like, there's no place for me to put this though. Like I have a thing and it won't go anywhere. It has to go to a zine. Like you can't make it be anything else. (laughs) Zines don't get published elsewise. If you're an esoteric person, as I feel like I somewhat (laughs) am, I always like will return to zines because it's like I can't put it anywhere else like you can't find somebody to publish something so you just kind of have to do it yourself some of my favorite stuff that I just like writing and comics and art and zines like stuff that's just too weird for the publishing world that's the thing about publishing is is a lot of publishers just play it really safe and that's I mean it's the business and if you want to totally kind of get art out outside of the capitalist boundaries and you kind of have to do stuff like that. I mean, there's the internet, but there's so much noise on the internet and it's, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zine fests are always to me, some of the most um, welcoming and like loving environments that I go to. You'll go to a zine fest and sell zines all day and have just everybody smiles at you. <laughs> it's just, this is so <laughs> different than a comic con where people are like, why did you make this? <laughs> Why is this self-published? Why isn't this DC? You know, I don't like, see oh a God. single Captain America on your table. <laughs> this is garbage. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Zinefest are just like, what is this? You made this? Oh my God, my mind is blown. Like, <laughs> you're just like, you're just happy that I made something. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I feel like the the purest stuff gets put in zines, too. And sometimes it's not always the most polished, but sometimes it is. Like, there's the best stuff. Yeah, it's like they run the gamut, right? Like it's it's all the way A to Z on on zines. (laughs) Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're the worst thing I've ever read. Um, (laughs) But you know that's kind of what you sign up for because you're just like, here's two bucks to like an independent creator, and you're just like, well, sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's just terrible and wonderful at the same time. Those are my favorites. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) A hundred percent. I'm glad to talk to you about your love for zines then, because that's always been, it seems to be like the world that I always end up going back to as well, even though every year I'm like, I'm never making another Z. <laughs> After folding them, here's the thing, like I, like when I started making comics, that's all I did was zines. And when you're just making like 10 or 12 of them, like it's really fun and I'm personalizing each one. And I still do it when I make 500 zines. I still want to like, have, add little personal touches and like have a page mm-hmm. that that I color in something. But when you're you know after the four hundredth time you're you've done it, you're like never fucking again. But I'm then never I do it doing again. it again. I always do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Probably same because it feels like love. Like when you're creating a rubber stamp for page seventy, and you're just like, ah, oh, <laughs> this feels like love. I'm like kissing each one. Yeah. (laughs) And you can just take your time with them. Like, I feel like I always put myself on these drastic schedules and (laughs) and I'm just like, the zine, it doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares when the zine comes out. They're just going to be really stoked that it it happened. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. There's so many great things about it. Now I'm like starry eyed thinking about zines. Literally what just happened in this conversation is I'm going to make another zine and I'm very disappointed in myself, but I'm also glad. (laughs) 
did you have anything else you wanted to add? Like anything that, uh, that we didn't ask you about or as do you have any more questions? I was going to ask what you just asked. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say I have four cats and three dogs. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> and two of the cats were accidents and one of the dog was an accident. <laughs> oh, I love it even more. But everyone else was planned. <laughs> I live in a pretty small house. <laughs> I just like, there's a lot of babies, little fur babies running around. It's getting smaller every minute. But they're all about the same size. So there is that. Oh, it's not like yeah. giant dogs. All the cats Smart. and dogs, they're all about the same size. Uh, it's a two-bedroom house. It's very, it's very cozy. Love it. They all get uh, along for the most part. Hey, it's pretty cute. That feels miraculous. <laughs> My dog, uh, we have a lot of alley cats. Well, let's see. This is what we're going to do now. We have a lot of alley cats uh, <laughs> that live near our home. And we had two dogs. Our large dog passed away in December. It was awful. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank oh. you. Wait, and I our, thought dogs don't die. Fuck I dogs thought that don't. too. I was like, I oh. thought we made a deal. Like, oh. I wouldn't have to do this. But yeah, so, you know, I still cry fairly often. But we've got like a little, like a lowrider dog who's like kind of like a corgi and like a Scotty. <laughs> and he's like, oh. I gotta I gotta pick up the slack. Like, it's my job to patrol. And the cats are like, oh. you're tiny. I I am not impressed with you. It's pretty cute. It's like he like sprints across the yard, and I'm like, "Good luck, buddy. You're never gonna catch a cat." Like, come on. The cats will outrun you. Well, the dogs do bark at cats that are outdoors, like the outside oh. cats. But they, but they oh. will. One time, one of my dogs. Uh, I have a Roomba, obviously, because I have seven, seven animals, and <laughs> the Roomba was coming towards one of my cats, Bowie. And he didn't see it coming. He was just cleaning himself. And my dog, Ono, Yoko Ono, who hates the Roomba. And I didn't even, I never really thought that she even paid Bowie a second thought. Like, she, she just kind of ignores Bowie. <laughs> she saw the Roomba coming towards Bowie. And she physically put her body in front of the Roomba. <laughs> oh. She took a bullet for Bowie so that it wouldn't hit him. And I'm like, that was just... The best thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. <laughs> I'm trying not to bawl my eyes out. It was so sweet. My cats are like falling over each other to push each other. <laughs> Damn. People have like really touching dog stories, and I'm like, it must be nice to live with non monsters. <laughs> Well, one of my cats is kind of a monster, but but he's a, so he's also my favorite. But I finally understand the parents who have like a serial killer son. It's always a guy who have a serial killer son, and but they're still like, oh, I love him. He's such a sweet boy. Like that's how I feel about Darcy. For some reason, he's he's my soulmate. He's the only person or animal or anything I've ever like had instant first love at first sight with, and it's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> this has been just a, a damn delight. Uh, I have loved talking about <laughs> comics with you and about zines and and abortion and feminism Ooh. and all the beautiful things <laughs> and why men need to grow up. That was also oh, yeah. fun. Uh, yeah, this has just been incredible. You're so cool. And this, I don't know, Aww. I'm just like, oh, I'm on cloud nine. Me too. Thanks for all the flattery. <laughs> <laughs> 
We I love, love to give out flattery. <laughs> Yay, I love taking it. I'm, yeah. <laughs> this is the upside of us being able to curate and choose exactly who we have on the pa- podcast is we only <laughs> talk to people we really like. Yeah. So. We're always <sighs> like, oh my God, hi, you're talking to <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel every time. It is a damn delight. Well, again, uh, you can find Mari Naomi on Twitter at, at Mari Naomi. You can find her website at marinaomi.com. And um, please don't say, well, actually, in response to any of her tweets. <laughs> <laughs> I will cut you down. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us today. This is really, Thank really you. special. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Anna Sheridan. New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror. Missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I turn to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierced the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation, or any other. I need you to find me. Of course. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.